I grew up in a hoarder home. My dad was very mentally ill, killed himself. I just felt so hopeless about my life. I'm $100,000 in debt. I was really struggling with myself. I knew my dad was as well. Do you think those lies essentially got you into the school? I don't mind being called a scammer because, you know, I have lied. Put that shit on my tombstone. Let's get into it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Let's Get Into It podcast hosted by me, Sloan. Today, we are joined by Caroline Calloway, who is a self-described writer, art historian, and teacher, as well as an influencer with over 600,000 followers on Instagram. How are you doing, Caroline? Hi, I'm, I'm also add to that list. Scratch teacher. I don't know what I, I was like blacked out when I fucking said that. I was, I don't know. I was probably drunk or high when I said that because I don't remember saying that at all. Let's scratch that and add biggest Sloan fan in the, oh, yeah? in the world. Yes. Let's, Let's go ahead it. and add but scammer as well, huh? I like I I I love your content. And I'm such a fan of you as just a human being. I don't know if your listeners know this, but um CC Suarez on YouTube. Do you want to tell the story or should I tell I start getting, So about like a, a year and like three months ago, four months ago, we all got together in Florida. Um CC Suarez, uh, Caroline and I, and we had lunch together. So it's so crazy to see her here <laughs> on the screen talking about this because we talked about her book, which um 
is coming. Is it out yet? It's not out yet. Which oh, is no, coming. It, it is out. It is out. It is out. Yeah. Ready for purchase. I know. It's only out in the luxury first edition. And right now I'm talking to um, real publishers behind the scenes to put it in stores, by the way. When we got lunch together, I mean, I have to admit, I was like doubtful because you had this book that you'd been talking about for years and you told us, you're like, yeah, I haven't really even started on it. And I'm super impressed to see that like in under, you know, like a year and a half, under two years, you've come together and put this book out. How are you feeling about that? I am so honestly so proud of myself. Also, I love, are we, am I allowed to say how drunk the three of us got? I love how you're like, <laughs> we got lunch together. Um, we got day drunk for like six hours together. I ended up like just crying on your balcony, having yeah, a therapy session with you guys. I, I definitely don't think you ate any food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were drunk and just we going through drunk. it together. We which were going through it. <laughs> I think it's like super important though too, because you know Caroline, I want to have her on because she's kind. She's you are controversial, but you're also misunderstood, and I feel like Aww. having the opportunity to like you know get to know you as a person that was really um, eye opening, and I also think that you are a a good person. You just had so many obstacles along the way, and your book describes them beautifully. Thank you so much. Honestly. For a few years there, I really felt like I could not catch a fucking break. You know, like I went viral for the creativity workshops. My ex-best friend used that as an opportunity to sell this tell-all to New York Magazine. Two days after the New York Magazine tell-all comes out, my father's body is found. It's a suicide. My mom got cancer. My grandma died. Like, I was just, I really felt like... I really just felt like I could not catch a fucking break there for like four years. Um, and it, it was tough because, you know, when we had that, uh, we were, um, before we started this podcast, you and I were talking about how like we were each going through it in our own ways. And like my grandma had just died. And I feel when the three of us got absolutely trashed on my balcony in, in Florida. Um, but, um, it, I, I was just in grief and it, like, because of her death, we were really close since my dad was so mentally ill. She really was like a third parent to me. And it's just so impossible to make any kind of art, be it, in my opinion, like good video content, a great book, a, I mean, I, a shitty painter, but like, I definitely am an even shittier painter when I'm like, bereaved you know like when you're really in a state of grief it's so impossible to just sit down and try to make something beautiful first you just have to heal and I because for so many years I felt like I could not catch a fucking break I just felt like I was accumulating things I needed to heal from like faster than I could heal and it's just been so nice to be in Florida to just like honestly just eliminate everything else in my life that isn't like healing and writing yeah i think that's so validating too because for me i've always suppressed a lot of my emotions and then going through this major depression was like the first time where i was like oh i can't just ignore this it's all consuming and i had no uh, no motivation for something i love to do and that i feel destined to do and i totally get what you mean it's like i guess writer's block but like so emotionally intense 
Yeah. Are, did you ever get on medication? I take so much medication. <laughs> I'm a medicated girly. I take, I used to take eight pills a day, but then my psychiatrist found a way to just like make the pill dosages bigger. So like I take the same <laughs> amount of medicine. I just get to take fewer pills now, but I take 400 milligrams of gabapentin for my generalized anxiety disorder. And then um, I take fluoxetine, 600 milligrams, which is like Prozac. Um, it's it's like Prozac, basically. Um, Prozac Nation, Elizabeth <laughs> I probably like should be on brand. medication. I probably should be, but I, you no, I haven't. You have depression without it? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Just wow, like that's so. A little like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little natural medication, but it's just once in a while, you know. <laughs> is that, by the way, like what's in the vape? Is it just nicotine? Oh, that's just nicotine. I'm I actually really going to try to like quit off of these. And moving to Florida, it like screwed me up. I never wanted to touch a vape in my life. Moving to Florida, everyone was puffing on them. And then since then coming to California, you know, it's like half oxygen, half vape out here. So <laughs> it's easy to get addicted, but I do want to go ahead and talk a little bit about how you became as a person because a lot of people are probably like who's Caroline Conway but you yes. have been like kind of in the game for a minute so you really picked up on Instagram back in the day and I want you to talk a little bit about how that happened and how you like low-key bought your way there at first yeah well it's so funny I feel like an old person being like when soda pop used to cost a nickel like um mm -hmm. when I talk about buying Instagram followers in 20. I think I bought them. I bought them in 2013, so exactly 10 years ago. And to buy 40,000 Instagram followers in 2013, I truly think it was like 4.99. Like I think it was like less than five dollars because the whole like in 2013, it's hard to remember how the concept, like the word influencer hadn't entered the English language yet. Like we didn't have the concept of like, you know hashtag ads and influencer marketing and just this whole scaffolding and ecosystem that surrounds like influencers and influencing now didn't exist and so buying followers was sort of just seen as like a vanity thing at least that's how i saw it um because you know to buy instagram followers today they're so much more expensive because you know it's to buy them today is to make a very like morally I would say anything morally questionable to morally bankrupt decision because like followers are a social currency that can be cashed in for literal cash, but also free trips, free clothing, mm -hmm. cloudier friends, like name, name your, your prize. But back in 2013, it was just sort of like a number on a screen to like have like a, a K after your followers. Like mm -hmm. Selena Gomez hadn't, she didn't have more than, I don't know, a hundred thousand followers. Like Instagram was still this coastal app that like only urban coastal teens were using. And I bought 40,000 fake followers just because honestly, I just, I always thought that someday I'd be a famous memoirist. Um, and we talked about this on my balcony, how we both always thought we Sloan and I both grew up in Virginia and growing up in Virginia, both Sloan and I, I feel like I'm giving your, tell me if you don't want me to tell your, no, you like, go ahead. I... because I just think you're just such a wonderful person. And honestly, I want the world to know, but Sloan grew up in like, didn't you grow up near like Leesburg, like sort of like yep, more rural uh -huh. Virginia. 
Um, I grew up in Falls Church, which is like the DC suburbs. And Sloan was telling me how he always like wanted to get out of Virginia, had big dreams, was like, I'm not meant for this like Virginia life, which spoke to my essence because I, I got out of Falls Church and never looked back. Like I never want to go back. Like, um, but I always wanted to be a famous memoirist. So I bought these 40,000 fake followers. Um, just to like, honestly, like LARP as a famous person, just in my own mind. Like I just wanted to like cosplay fame, like for me, like I didn't think that like anything would come of Instagram, but then 2013, 2014, the app really started gaining momentum. Like at this point, Selena Gomez has, oh, I don't know, 1 million followers. And now some other celebrities are on the app too. Like, um, I don't know why I'm using Selena Gomez as like the <laughs> metric of Instagram fame, but we're going with it. We're going with it. We're into it now. It's part of the story. But um, when I really started investing in Instagram intentionally and trying to like build a business and use it to achieve that dream of becoming a famous memoirist was um, in 2014 and 2015, I sort of saw the very first inklings of what would later become influencer marketing starting to appear. And I realized that you could sell if you got a big enough following, you could sell them things on social media. Like you wouldn't have to do it on a blog or take them to a website. Like you could make the content right in the post itself and deliver it to people in their feeds. And what's more than that is that you could, um, if you made like really engaging stories and really good writing, you could develop an audience that liked you as a writer, even though Instagram was a photo sharing app, it had a really high caption limit. And I also realized that you could target your ads if you bought posts from other accounts. And because this was like three years pre FTA, like federal trade administration laws about disclosing hashtag ads, what I did was I bought ads. Um, I, and this, this is really soda pop used to cost a nickel as well, I would buy packages of um, 10 ads for $50. And so that's $5 a sponsored post. And these accounts thought that I was throwing my money away. Like they thought they were scamming me. Like I'd be like, please take my money. And they'd be like, are you sure? And um, yeah, I knew that I wanted not just followers, but readers and not just readers, but readers that were predisposed to become obsessed with what they read. So I targeted like book fandom accounts, like The Fault in Our Stars was really big that summer, like the, all the Green Brothers books, The Hunger Games, obviously Harry Potter. I was at Cambridge University, so like that was really my demo for sure. Um, let's see, Pretty Little Liars, Gossip Girl, like any book series that had like a lot of mainstream appeal, usually because they'd been made into television or movies. And so I bought ads and I would look at how these book fandom accounts like wrote their posts. Um, I would look at what adjective they use when they really like something. Is it awesome? Is it amazing? Um, what emojis do they use? How many of the emojis? How many exclamation points? Like, what's the punctuation like? Is it all lowercase? And then, because this is illegal now, but I cannot emphasize this enough, was not a crime in 2014 because the law didn't wouldn't exist for years. I would write in the voice of these book fandom accounts being like, look at this, like, 
this girl writes these amazing stories, like go follow her. And then once I got enough real followers, like a couple hundred thousand actual fans to go with my 40,000 bot fans. And I think the 40,000 bot fans were really helpful because they helped me grow faster because when I bought those ads for myself, they were stickier and like had a better retention rate from like the the, Turnover? Is that the right word? I don't fucking know. I'm not a business person. I don't know corporate. It's like the conversion or something like click conversion. Yeah, it it had better conversion because people saw the social proof of like the 40,000 followers. Mm -hmm. And so then once I got like a couple hundred thousand real fans, I started to have enough natural organic engagement on my page to start like qualifying for. I think it was called the Explore page on Instagram or the discover page, or I feel like they've changed the name. I don't fucking know, but, and then the account started growing naturally. And so, yeah, I feel like, you know, I've been on the internet for 10 years and I think each year I've been more famous, infamous, notorious than the last, but I think people do forget, especially if they've joined the Caroline Calloway journey recently it's easy to forget that i've actually like been an influencer even in like the earliest days of before the word existed uh for Mm -hmm. 10 years and i've been yeah yeah the first five years i was a fairy tale next five years i was a scammer i really hope the next five years i'll be an author fingers crossed (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Well, I think it's also really in like you're like a case study in a way because like what you were describing about influencers, it really clicked with me because like before that we followed celebrities or famous people and you, this, uh, this platform gave you a medium to kind of build yourself up as someone like a normal citizen who is interesting enough to follow. And then people start to behave like you are some celebrity. And ultimately you started building this like Instagram, you know, career back in 2013. How did this kind of bleed into you going to Cambridge? Yes. Well, so uh, when I bought the, the 40,000 bots in 2013, I was still going to NYU. Um, I applied to Cambridge three times and they rejected my application the first two times. There was a period in my life when I was like a sophomore at NYU and everyone I knew except for my mom was like 
Caroline, this is your life. You gotta let the Cambridge thing go. Like you, I'm sorry, but you're crazy. And this is not happening for you. Like look around you. This is your life. Like you, you go here, like you go to NYU. Taylor Swift's alma, alma mater. A big misconception, you know, that I want to clear up right now on this podcast is that I fucking love NYU. And I loved it before Taylor Swift became an alumna, but I love it even the fucking more now. But um, I, yeah, at NYU. Why Cambridge? Like what's, what's special about Cambridge that you were so fixated on going there? Yeah, I think, you know, I, part of it was, Part of it, a little part of it, a little slice of it was vanity. Like, I just feel like I I have a bit of vocal fry. I say like a lot. I'm very enthusiastic. I think I'm a very smart person. I think if you had to, like, I think my intelligence is, like, one of my favorite things about myself. But I really think because of the body that I'm in, I think people really underestimate me and don't think I'm smart. And because I refuse to, like calm the fuck down and like not act like a little like yippee golden retriever people really see it as like a mark of my as proof of my stupidity so i think a little part of me just wanted the intellectual validation um and i ended up lying on my application to get in i saw your transcript i know i know but but to be fair i didn't cheat while i was there so i did do the coursework and i did get the degree so like i did i was able to do the work i just was not um yeah, I ended up lying on my application by I I got a I think a D plus or some sort mm-hmm. of D in ancient Greek my senior spring at boarding school because um, I was really in love with this guy and he had a free period during my ancient Greek class and I was so besotted with this little fucking squash player at Exeter <laughs> that I would go and fuck him instead of going to ancient Greek class and I almost failed. So I forged my extra transcript. Like I literally photoshopped it to like an A minus, I think. And then I lied. So I took, I had a bunch of AP scores. I had like fives in, I think, Italian art history, one English literature thing and one Latin test. But there were two Latin tests, like two Latin APs and two English lit APs. And I had one five and one four for both Latin and English. And then I lied and just said that I I got fives on both. Do you think those lies essentially got you into the school? You know, I don't know is the truth. Like I, and I'll never know because like I, you can't, I can't ask. (laughs) I don't, I haven't heard from Cambridge and they haven't taken my degree back as of yet. And I don't want to, I don't want to. I don't want to bother them. Like, I, yeah, they're not right. reading the news. I don't want to bring it to their attention. <laughs> exactly. I mean, do you, besides the, the transcript situation, do you feel like you were qualified to go there? Or do you think you kind of scammed your way into that? You know, I, this is going to be such a crazy answer. And I am so glad. I've been doing so much press for my book. And I, I'm not complaining. I'm so grateful for the rave reviews. Like, it's. To have they're great. I mean, the reviews are awesome. Congrats. I was like, wow, I was super excited to read that. Post called my first book a masterpiece. Are you literally (laughs) fucking kidding me? Did you see the New Yorker that just came out? The New Uh Yorker scammer is funny, engaging, and full of genuine insight. Put that shit on my fucking tombstone. (laughs) I am I'm I'm on cloud nine. But um, but talking to these reporters who I don't know, like who haven't cried on my lanai in Florida, (laughs) I really 
I really feel, sometimes I feel really shy and awkward answering this question honestly of like, do I feel like I, my relation, why Cambridge? Do I feel like I mm -hmm. scammed my way in? Um, I have to pretend that they're a friend so that I can, don't go into like, so I don't say the normal thing because what I'm about to say is like batshit insane. There's your clip for the beginning of the <laughs> podcast. I watch all your podcasts, by the way, and I can't uh, wait to see what little like sizzle reel you make from this. I, I love know. how I feel like a, fan, a guest, but like also a hardcore fan. <laughs> but a bum 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 bada bada bum. I think you should. I should sing it for you now, and yeah. like, instead of music, just like have me sing it. But um. Uh, the truth is, is that I have always thought ever since I was a little girl that I've always wanted to be a famous memoirist. And, you know, in the same way that I wanted to be an influencer before I had before the world gave us the language to describe influencer, the thing I want to be, I say famous memoirist, but the truth is there's not a word for it. I wanted to live a, a you know, I didn't have an idea for the plot of my life that I wanted to live, but I wanted to live live my life in a world that I was not born into. I grew up in a hoarder home. My dad obviously was very mentally ill, killed himself. Um, like, I think I have, and I also think that like, I have madness in the blood. Like, I don't think we know yet. Like, my uncle's schizophrenic. Like, for all I know, what I'm about to tell you is just like, like diet schizophrenia. It's just like a very like mild form of schizophrenia that I've inherited. Um, but I just always thought ever since I was little that I, my greatest contribution to the world would be to go and see these worlds and write stories that are true, that read like, that read like, you know, Harry Potter and Gossip Girl and these books that I grew up reading like I'm the books that made me love reading and love books themselves like I wanted those stories but I wanted them to be true because something that always like just broke my heart but also really inspired me at the same time was the idea of like what if you could write about these worlds these castles these parties in New York but it but it was real and the characters were real and all of it happened like I just wanted that more than anything and I just always felt like you know I was never thought I'd be a scientist or an astronaut or a singer or just like I always felt like the only way I'd ever contribute to society and the way that I was this is this the madness speaking I think but I really always felt like I was meant and destined to contribute to society by going to these worlds, living in these worlds, and then writing about these worlds. Mm -hmm. And I, so when it comes to like, do I feel guilty about like scamming my way in? Or like, do I feel like it was a scam? Like, I definitely think I lied. And like, I'm very cognizant of that. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, I don't even expect to be happy in my own life. Like, I really see my life in service to these books that I want to make and making the best books possible. And I just, I just think that those books will make other people who struggle with madness, but also suicide and, and all the dark, roiling parts of being a human and depression and the brain, I, I think I can make art 
that can help them. And I, I, so like, I don't feel, I do think it was a scam, but I don't feel guilty about it because I really think that it was what was best for the art I want to make the art that I've always felt like I should make. Well, I totally get it because I grew up, you know, not believing myself, but also believing in myself, but believing I could like get to there in some way. And talking Can I ask about you a question on your uh -huh. podcast, is this allowed? Can okay. you tell me about how you started your YouTube channel? Like, what were you doing in 2013? So, I mean, since seventh grade, I've always made videos. I've always enjoyed making videos. So I have multiple like YouTube channels with a bunch of private videos. I've just enjoyed like filming and creating. Um, I would say probably in 2013 at that point, I was doing some like basic like videos kind of like I would I would make like, well, some would be like stupid, like music reviews, but then others would be like kind of a movie trailers. Like I always like wanted to create really short, like they were like two minute, three minute, like movie trailers that make my boyfriends do usually like horror films like kind oh of God, like very cringe like Wait, i'm so scared to... blood. you just post blood comment oh. comment down below if you want to post one. <laughs> but i um You're like i'm cutting that part out <laughs> yeah i mean going to college i kind of stopped with some of the youtube i did a little bit more vlog things and then once i started working for the government and i came across a few stories a few niche stories I decided to talk about them on my channel. I had no idea what I was doing. And my videos were like, you know, one would get 300 views, one would get 200 views, and then 90,000 views. This video about, um, uh, you know, young Sweet Row, Travis Scott's like fling that he's cheating on Kylie. So it all like, I started to notice that I was like good at storytelling because I always loved creating videos, but my videos weren't great. Like I can like look back on them. They weren't like excellent. I just loved doing them there for me. So then when I started getting good at making videos, it was interesting because I had such a, complex with like trying to accept like what this was becoming because I always told myself like YouTube's not a job I can never do YouTube full-time like I would always put myself in a box constantly and then I started like getting really good at doing it and I was doing it for myself like I loved just creating and when COVID happened I was like so lonely locked up in DC my best friend was my camera and I just put all that energy into it and I never thought you could even make money from YouTube or do any of that so the fact that I, I, I mean, I went on for a year making more from YouTube than I was the government, but I just continued to work my ass off like 40 hours a week, come home, film videos, edit them myself on the weekends, just film because it gave me like so much life connecting with people and just putting out something like what you, I mean, I'm sure putting out this book, it's like you just gave birth to a baby. Shout out Cece yeah. Suarez. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, like, and honestly doing this for like, I mean, at least creating content for over like 10 years. I mean, it's not on the internet, but looking at how like technology has advanced too, it's so insane to me because I remember being like in seventh grade editing these videos on these like softwares that were so hard to use. And nowadays like people can make like these TikToks and things with their phones. And I'm like, I, looking back on that, I mean, I, it's so it's I, it makes sense on how everyone like creates content now so quickly and so um so often just because like back then like creating content was a really difficult experience and i'm glad i had that because now getting into editing and such people want to create content and want it like this they want it like that I want views like this and it's like i never wanted that gra like instant gratification i just loved sitting there and figuring out the programs and changing you know this file to make it into something new it just felt very i guess it is like art i don't think myself like as an artist but i, I guess it is artistic. i think of you as an artist i a hundred percent think of you as an artist like one thousand percent like i can't believe you don't like you are you are an artist sloan and and you are an excellent at what you do like and you have perfected the craft like yeah. i i am i loved by the way to, not to like spend this whole podcast hyping you up loved your interview with holly madison 
how what I love her so much. Oh my god, what was she like? I mean, amazing, gorgeous, know, so I sweet. I don't even know why I'm asking. I'm just like, I'm like, I fucking know. Like, I saw that well, both parts of the interview. But do you have any Holly Madison anecdotes? I like her so much. Uh, I mean, and we've so kind of filmed so many books. Speaking of artists, burlesque dancer and author, what can't she do? Seriously, reality star. I mean, I'm As surprised she doesn't have music. Uh, yeah, she just seems so nice and like such a good mom. So genuine and just someone who also, I think, didn't really expect like a lot of this to happen and just kind of like took a chance on life, kind of like what you've talked about. Like we didn't really, you know, we weren't born into anything like necessarily special, but we like found our way. And I think she just like took the opportunities and she's now built something beautiful. And I, I'm super impressed by her. Uh, yeah. Holly, if you're out there, we're your biggest <laughs> fans. We, we, we hope you're doing great. <laughs> but um. In order for my books to reach the maximum number of readers, like you need fame. And I just feel like when I say I want to be a famous writer in my voice and my body, people without even realizing it, like sort of um, connote like a sort of like gold digging, conniving, attention whore sort of vibe. Superficial, to it. Totally. superficial, shallow. <laughs> and it's like really, I just like. I, I want to be famous because I want my books to reach the maximum number of readers. So just when you, so you would write about your life at Cambridge through your Instagram and you would like romanticize it and people fell in love with these stories that you would tell, but there's some like fogginess when I look at this part of your life, because Natalie is a big part of who told your story. So I want to give Excellent like, question. some oh. context on who Natalie is, how she came into your life and how people or why people describe her as your ghostwriter, because you're talking about, you know, this life you want to live, how you would share it on social media, how you wanted to build this, I guess, you know, this bond, almost like a celebrity with these people. But now people look back on it. And like, when I read a few articles, I mean, my initial thought is that it was completely fake and that this Natalie person is who... Built to you. I'm so glad to explain this because I don't mind being called a scammer because, you know, I have lied. Like at the time, I definitely didn't think that I'd like ever talk about lying on that application. And now, like 10 years later, I'm very much like at peace with who I was then because I'm just no longer that person and I actually like who I am now. But the biggest misconception about me that persists is that I can't write and that Natalie was my ghostwriter. And people think this because Natalie is smart and she did a really good job um, convincing people of that. Um, basically, so when I had those 40,000 bots in 2013, I am at NYU and Natalie and I together, we write one two-liner jokes like little short captions but they were nowhere near the three paragraph diaristic like long-form narrative captions that would become my trademark at cambridge we collaborate on these jokes we sit around my apartment we smoke weed and we write little one-liners for my captions no one's reading these in fact i have to buy likes to keep up appearances because every time i post i don't have it like uh, only my friends and family are like my real people following me. So I have to buy like a couple, th like a, a thousand likes, you know, or like a 500 likes to like keep up appearances. And for the next two to three years, I fall out of touch with Natalie. We talk maybe a couple times a year, 
Um, but more or less, I'm, I'm living life in England. And it's during this time, 2014, 2015, that I buy those um, ads with those book fandom accounts. And it's also the time that I alone, with no fucking help at all from anyone else doing the writing, that I alone write the captions about Cambridge that made me famous. And in fact, my next book, which I want to put out, you're not going to believe this, Sloan. I want to put out two more books before the end of the year. And the next book, I know, I know. But I wrote these Cambridge captions alone. And my next book is actually going to be called The Cambridge Captions because I own the full fucking copyright to every single word that I wrote about my time at Cambridge because I wrote it alone. But this misconception about me persists because Natalie, I, I can't be anything but impressed by how masterful she crafted this essay. So when my creativity workshops went viral, I to this day will, I'll die on the hill that I made a niche event for a niche demographic and everyone who thought it was stupid were people who wouldn't have bought a ticket in the first place. The only reason it got so out of hand was that like, Honestly, I didn't know how to deal with the negative attention of people being like, why are you giving away mason jars? Why haven't you booked venues six months in advance? Like, I, because I'm disorganized and chaos is the brand. But um, I really think it only got so out of hand because I just handled it so poorly. Like, I canceled the tour. I refunded mm -hmm. everyone. Then I apologized. People saw that apology as, like, proof of guilt. But when all of this happened and I went viral as a scam. My ex-best friend Natalie sold this piece to the cut and she really capitalized on my bad press and went to New York Magazine and was like, let me tell you how much of a scammer this girl really is. And she, in her essay, she talks about writing these one-liner captions for an audience of no one. Little jokes that no one read because I didn't have a single real follower. And then she zooms over the next two to three years where we fell out of touch and alone i wrote the captions that would make me famous and alone i built my brand and then she rejoins the story by my senior something we haven't even touched on yet is adderall um because well, i do actually i do want to talk to you about the adderall addiction because i, I feel like that's you super, about the adderall but before we let's talk briefly about this creativity okay. workshop because i feel like people aren't going to understand it so yes. essentially you know Caroline started building her following and she started to figure out ways to monetize this. So she created a course, like a creativity workshop tour, essentially for her fans to go and meet her and to learn skills on how to become a better writer. You had, um, no, the prices no, were it, it wasn't like it honestly, it's why I corrected you when you were like, she's a teacher. And I'm like, I may have said that, but I'm a crazy bitch and I do not stand by that. Let's get, let's not get it twisted. I'm insane. So if you're I, not teaching them anything, $165 for four hours, what were they getting? Okay. It was six hours, first of all. But <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'm glad that I'm able to clear this up. I don't think it's fair that so many rumors about just lies, not even rumors, like literal misinformation still persists. It was six hours. With it, you got wine, you got salad, you got cookies, you got coffee, you got all this stuff. Um, you also got goodie bags with all this stuff with like inside jokes. You got like little diaries that I had designed, um, like 
tote bags, merch, flower seeds. God, I can't even remember what was in it. It was a lot of turquoise stuff and it was inside jokes from all the Cambridge days. So it did look like random shit to the outside observer. During my Cambridge days, I got super addicted to Adderall, which I will not go on that tangent now. We'll get to that later. But I got super addicted to Adderall and I also got into a book deal, a half a million dollar book deal my senior year of college for a book that I really had no intention of writing. I got into- So they gave you like $100,000, right? Because it's like a down payment. You blew it without any book, right? On enough Adderall, a hundred grand spends itself. Like you don't even have to, but you you don't have to blow it. The money blows itself. It's industry standard in publishing to give 20% of the overall deal upfront as what's called a book advance. And I spent my book advance like that. And which then when I got, it took many years. Um, in fact, like from when I spent that advance and gone to that year, I would be like addicted to Adderall for almost, two more years before I got help. And I didn't go to AA, but I went to three different therapists, um, not all at the same time, but like over 18 months. I did therapy, I moved around, which is why I was changing therapists. And I went three days a week for 18 months and I focused on therapists who specialized in addiction and did like AA informed counseling. So like I did, a lot of the steps, but not in order. And I never went to meetings, but I do feel really familiar with like one day at a time AA language. And so I, um, during this time, I didn't post at all. I was just really, I didn't really know how, how I could post. Like I just felt so hopeless about my life. I'm a hundred thousand dollars in debt. I was also had a severe pill addiction and a very mentally ill father at home. And I was really struggling with suicide myself. I knew my dad was as well. And like, I, it's not that I made up the beauty, but I left out so much darkness that at a certain point it was truly lying by omission. I sold a book, a memoir that wasn't even about my life. And I really didn't want to spend the rest of my life signing copies of a fucking book that wasn't even about me. The reason I never delivered that book is because I realized that I had just, I had totally lost sight of why I wanted to be a writer, a memoirist in the first place. And I was in a real pickle. I owed my publishers $100,000. My greatest skill in my opinion, is writing, but I couldn't write about anything that had happened in my life up until 2016 because they owned the right to, the rights to it. And they were very kind to not sue me for the hundred grand that they owed. But I knew that if I sold a different book or tried to publish a different book for like the right, the copyright that they owned, I definitely felt like it. I didn't want to provoke them into suing me. So the point is, is that I didn't want to write about it on my Instagram, but I needed money. I needed to make money. I didn't want to write about sobriety. I didn't even know what to fucking put on my Instagram grid because it was so Cambridge fairy tale, dark academia coded. But someone made a Twitter thread where they um, compared like things that I had promised and then the day of photos side by side without including like all the Instagram stories that I posted saying like what I do instead and like what like promising the new thing that I actually did. And then Jonah Hill retweeted it and it <laughs> went viral. And Jonah Hill, karma's a bitch. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. So then this went viral on Twitter and people were dragging you. You, I remember something that stuck with me at lunch that you said that like you apologized and you wish that you didn't because you kind of accepted like, you know, all the blame for something that was still, I mean, you, you, I remember you telling me you had a great experience that first workshop. And after <laughs> that, the reactions were just so bad that you just like pulled out and kind of retreated. And you, I feel like it could have grown into something more established and maybe more productive if it had more time. But now this went viral and it kind of was like, you know, slandering your name and all your reputation. It wasn't looking great. And your <laughs> friend, your ex-friend, Natalie, this yeah. this leech in the corner who's been like waiting for you to fall, decided to really? hop on this moment, go to the press and share her experience with you and pretty much like discredit everything that you've done on social media. Um, actually, I thought it was interesting. You wrote, you wrote in your book that she's a writer Nepo baby. <laughs> and Yeah, her aunt is editor-in-chief of O Magazine. And like she got Natalie her first job, but she really did a great job in her article of not only taking credit for my work um, and my fame and making her seem like the brain's behind everything you have a I mean you still have do you feel like you have a lot of anger to towards her still to this day you know in your book funny. you wrote you've only ever thought about harming or I guess killing yourself yet Natalie is a close like second a, clo um, a close second yeah you know I was really it's funny if you had asked me this a week ago I would have said yes because you know I feel like there have been three times it's so funny because she everything that she is like upset at me for and like I'll be the first to admit like especially during my early 20s and then coupled with the Adderall addiction like I was a shitty friend I was like preoccupied I lied I especially once I was like really bottoming out in my addiction like I could go months without even asking a simple question like how are you and that's unacceptable and rude um but everything that she's mad at me for doing i did seven eight nine years ago like high out of my mind on drugs and everything that i'm mad at her that she did she did stone cold fucking sober like within the last months to like three years and the first time she sold me out was obviously during the creativity workshop when Jonah Hill retweeted that and all hell broke loose in my life when she sold that story to the cut. But you know, the second time she sold me out was two days after that story came out. Um, my father's body was found um, rotting inside of his quarter house in um, Falls Church, Virginia. And it was, his body was actually so decayed that the police couldn't rule out murder. Uh, a Virginia detective actually called me in New York and asked me if I had any leads about foul play. Um, but it was presumed suicide. Um, he had overdosed on ironically pills. Um, I say ironic because, and I'm not even sure if I'm using this word correctly now that I think about it, but Natalie, there are so many things and hurt that like taking credit for my work, making me seem like, like just a terrible person but one of the ways that she did that was that she erased my Adderall addiction from the re record like she you know I had to make amends to her as part of like my recovery program like I had to the last time we spoke before her New York piece came out was when I sent her an email 
detailing like every way that I'd ever wronged her and like apologizing. And she very carefully says in her New York piece, like she talks about like the last time I saw Caroline and describes me like really high on drugs and like doesn't mention, she describes me high on drugs without mentioning the drugs. Like she talks about how I was late and my erratic behavior and the crazy things I said. And, and she mentions Adderall in passing, but the same way in that essay that she mentions that like I was having a beer or a cocktail, like she, the girl who once like helped me find or tried to get me to like go to rehab, like just erases all of that from the record. And by doing that, she makes like everything I did during my addiction seem like the core of who I am. And it was very strange to see like these pills that were such a big part of, they, they were like one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. My, my, my love for them, my hatred of them, how much they like really fueled my like own thoughts of suicide. It was very surreal to see like the whole world believing this version of me that Natalie had created that is just erratic because like, and I am crazy, but like, this is me sober. Imagine how fucking crazy I was on Adderall. Like I was crazy, not in like a lunatic genius kind of way, but like in a I tore up like all the carpet in my dorm room sort of way, like truly like, like feral. But the second time she tried to sell me out was the day his body was found. She, um, I really wanted to talk to her because, you know, I was barely keeping my head up with the viral New York magazine piece. And like, now that my father's body had been found, I guess I just sort of like, I just wanted her to like, call it off. Like all she had to do was give one interview and be like, you know, Caroline really wrote those captions herself. Like, you know, I just clear a few things up, just make this a little easier for me. And she, I reached out to her via email being like, can we talk on the phone? And she was like, I actually really wanted to talk to you too. Like, so crazy that you emailed me. And she, um, we talked about my dad and she was really comforting and sweet and so kind. And then she, um, and I thought that was sort of the point of our phone call, but she then revealed that she, um, she actually had a business deal that she wanted to strike. She wanted me to sell the rights to my life. So like the rights to use my name, um, and face and life story, um, for $15,000 and her forgiveness. She would be my friend again if I signed this deal. Um, I would find out later that Netflix was offering her a million dollars if she could get my life rights attached to the like option for her article. And if she couldn't get them attached, Netflix would only give her a hundred thousand. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't even angry then because I was just so sad about my dad. And I was also going through like this immense public shaming. And I was also dealing with like having like my identity as a writer taken from me, which was really a, a, a kind of grief in its own way. Um, and But the third time that made me mad at her recently was this past winter. The reason I finally got to work and started writing was because a friend who's in publishing leaked her book proposal, like <clears throat> the thing that you use to sell a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ended up writing about me less in her book than her proposal made it seem like she would. But she 
just her book proposal was all about me like me 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 it's just like my life like i sometimes i feel like if you want to be a fucking memoirist so bad natalie get your own fucking life but and it, it, this i was angry about that because honestly i was just finally in a place where i had healed enough that i could feel my own anger like i had healed from my father's death and from the public shamings and my grandmother's death and my mom's cancer is under control. And I was so mad when I saw this book proposal. I was just so finally just like sick to death of being used. And thank God I didn't sign her Netflix deal. Um, and that that deal of hers died at Netflix because <clears throat> can you imagine if I'd signed away my life rights for $15,000 to Ryan Murphy? Well, especially she got in like, such a vulnerable point in your life. I mean, you, your dad was just, his body was found rotted. I mean, that sounds like Hours horrific. ago. Like, it really wasn't even the 15000 that I wanted. Although, as she pointed out, like, it would be very hard for me to, like, make money now that no one believed that I was a good person or was smart or could write. So, like, it, and she framed it, like, so manipulatively. Like, she was like, how are you doing with money? Like, you know, I'd love to help you with money. Um, like, would $15,000 make a difference in your life? And, like, like the framing it, like, it was a real gift. And I, it was really only because my manager, like, truly AA language, he one day at a time to me, like, the same language that, like, got me out of addiction was what he used to, like, prevent me from signing that deal until when I finally found out how much she was getting or wouldn't – she ended up only getting the 100,000, but when I found out about that 1 million, I snapped out of it. You know, there've been two big reviews that compared our books side by side. First, the Washington Post, which um, like they, they were brutal to Natalie. They, I, they called, they called, you know, I won't say it because I told myself that I was done gloating because boy, did I fucking gloat when this article came out. I felt like karma was finally giving me my due but they thought my book was a masterpiece they didn't like natalie's and i was still angry after that even though more good press came out but just two days ago three days ago the new yorker which for like a literary girl like for a, even though i'm like tana mojo for like girls who have liberal arts degrees i i still love the new yorker and i worship it they compared our books and they thought mine was better. I always used to say to Natalie, I was like, someday the New Yorker is going to write about this. They're going to write about us and what great writers we are and like, and how we knew each other. And I always thought that would happen. And when the Washington Post piece came out, I sort of thought like, oh, well, it wasn't the New Yorker, but like close, like it was close. Um, and I just, when the New Yorker wrote about it and when they liked my book more and when they just like trash Natalie's I I honestly I felt the anger leave me as if like I like a spirit leaving the body like I just felt like a ghost whatever whatever it was I just like I don't think it's right the way she used me I just felt like I won you know like I lost the battle won yeah. the war I just felt like I won and that I just it just felt good that like to know that like selling out people doesn't work in the long run because for a couple of years there, like in the short term, like I really felt like, you know, the world was rewarding her with like 
not just money, but like praise and just like attention for like being really shitty and snaky. And I just felt like it like made me lose faith in like literally like lose faith in like the world and like humanity. Cause I just sort of felt like, okay, I guess like sometimes like it, what's the lesson here? It pays to be a snake. Like I hated that. Yeah, I was a shitty person in my 20s, but I'm glad I grew up to be not her and because it just doesn't pay to live like that and to just like betray people. Like it, it may – there may be a short-term payoff, but like down the road, everything's coming back around. Well, I think it's also – it's important to acknowledge that like she exploited you for years and now you have finally been able to take ownership over like the life you lived and not – and to tell the story how it went opposed to someone trying to conveniently leave out your addiction or conveniently leave out certain things and to approach you when you are at your most vulnerable point. There's just something really gross about that and I think that no matter what – like played out i think you were destined to prevail because operating in that manner is going to set her up for failure thank you for watching part one of my interview with caroline colloway for more of her controversial story make sure you tune in next week bye guys Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.